Radio. This is your host, Robbie Martin. And this is Abby Martin. How's everybody doing out there? <laughs> In this clusterfuck of a, of a situation America's heading towards. Well, I guess we've all we've been in for a while. It's not like we're heading towards a clusterfuck. It's just getting worse. Yeah. I did a solo podcast as the last Media Roots podcast because I wanted to just record something while Trump was in basically in the middle of bombing Syria. One of the most disturbing parts about that whole event for me was watching Trump broadcasting his announcement from Mar-a-Lago. And it wasn't even a live broadcast. It was like he made the decision to bomb while he was at Mar-a-Lago with like the Chinese prime minister. Mm -hmm. And then didn't allow the media to record from like the banquet room of Mar-a-Lago, his announcement. Instead, they recorded like a pre-recorded tape with like the Mar-a-Lago camera crews and then sent it out like via via courier to the media. And the audio feed was like completely distorted. So like basically Trump's official announcement of bombing Syria was just like a completely like a technical fuck up with the almost unintelligible audio for like the, for like, a whole minute of his speech it's very very odd and that's how everybody heard it wow um, and so we have a president who's constantly going to his own golf club resort in florida back and forth to and from the white house he's already taken pictures there like yuppie like members of mar-a-lago who just like randomly run into trump like in the dining room and the guy with who holds the nuclear football for Trump was like taking selfies with people and shit. Like this is just super strange. Like a lot of things with Trump, this has almost become normalized already that we have a president who owns his own resort and it just goes there and conducts presidential business all the time at the resort. Yeah. And, and even like just, you know, I'll read articles and he'll be um, talking about meetings and it'll always be like over rounds of golf. It's like, yeah, like Rand Paul, met with Trump for eight hours on the golf course to just discuss repealing Obamacare. It's like, how, first of all, what? Like, this is, this is what you're doing in terms of meetings. Like, don't you have offices? It's like you, you just go on like a 10 hour golf trip to just like shoot the shit with Rand Paul about like, what should we do to like take away healthcare for more people? I mean, Trump during the campaign just kept saying, I'm not going to play golf. I'm going to work for you guys. Like making fun of how much Obama played golf. If you look at the amount of time that he's spent golfing and at Mar-a-Lago since getting into office, it's like 
I don't even know. I mean, there's a chart here on New York Times that just shows how insane it is. Because if you if you compare it to Bush, Clinton, and Obama, I think Obama maybe went like once or something the first three months that he was in office. And Trump has been going like four out of seven days a week. It's just like gone all week, every I mean, week, just golfing. Yeah, I just thought of this while you were saying that. I was like, I was just thinking to myself, like, why are presidents so obsessed with golfing? Like the most boring... <laughs> sport ever Mm -hmm. can you even think of any other presidents who did any other sport more than golfing well i I guess because you could just be by your like you could just be away but i mean hours and hours that's the key to it i think it's like you can conduct sort of unofficial slash official business not having to be like in a debugged room that the secret service has checked for you yep an unaccountable form of deal making trump just removed the visitor logs from the white house so if he's going golfing this much, I mean, maybe he is just a total leisurely c- kind of guy who just doesn't actually like governing or he is doing a bunch of like side deals. Yeah. Yeah. Removing the visitor logs is a huge thing. Yeah. I mean, at least Obama, you know, as shitty as Obama was, and I always have to say this when I sound like I'm defending him, but like I was able to go back through Obama's visitor logs because he, he made them public. I, th- I don't think Bush had mm-hmm. a public visitor logs. But I might be wrong about that. But on the White House, um, I think maybe some of it was public before, but you had to file requests like Freedom of Information. Obama actually made it searchable where I was able to search and find Kim Kagan going to the Oval Office, Robert Kagan going to the Oval Office, Fred Kagan, Mm -hmm. you know, a bunch of times. Uh, And I was just like, oh, that's really interesting that that's very, you can just publicly find that. And like no one's really, you know, that's not really been reported on. It's not really a big story. We already know Obama was dealing with neocons, but it's just still interesting that Trump right now, right after he bombs Syria and does this extremely strange neocon pivot that, all, you know, all of a sudden uh, just no visitor logs. And what else could that mean? It could also mean Democrats um, that he's doesn't want to make his base um, hate him. So he's, you know, secretly visiting with other members of the other party or something. It could mean a lot of different things. But it doesn't seem like Trump is actually scared of the public knowing that he's just like a oligarch, like friendly corporate, you know, piece of shit, like with hiring Rex Tillerson and stuff. So it's hard to say exactly why he's hiding those. Um, yeah. But I mean, less yeah. transparency is the only reason you could be doing that is so he could be doing things without the press prying or the public eye prying into his business. Yeah, there was a a public citizen report that just came out that shows um, how Trump had met with at least 190 corporate executives just since the inauguration. And since becoming president-elect, the figure jumps to 224. So this whole like corporate executive swamped the White House. That's what the report is called. Um, And he's also met with Sheldon Adelson, of course, a really controversial billionaire that that, um, was responsible for funding tons of illegal settlements in Israel. Um, essentially propping up the Israeli state. Carl Linder, the third, Bill Gates, David Koch. David Koch is not surprising at all. David Koch has ties to Mercer, Breitbart, um, all that stuff. Chris Kobach, the voting, uh, the voting dude who remember that memo. Um, remember that that guy who was meeting with Trump and then and then he like had the memo publicly showing and that photo of him, he like didn't yes. have it in Manila folder. And then the memo ended up being like he wanted to repeal the entire voter registration law. <laughs> To basically make it so you have to have a passport to register to vote. It's like extremely um, insane, this plan to just 
crack down on voter laws even more than they already are. Um, and this guy, Chris Kobach, is just a total scumbag. So, yeah, I mean, basically in, his, in, in the first three months, not only was he golfing half the time, but he's also just meeting in and out like two a day. I think the number comes out to when you average it uh-huh. of just corporate CEOs and executives just coming in and out, cycling through that swamp. And I, I have to bring up this point again, because I don't understand when does a corporate oligarch or like billionaire or executive who's this high up in corporate, you know, international corporate, corporate world become a globalist. Mm-hmm. It's like, I just don't understand the distinction. So like everybody that Trump's associated with who's in the corporate sphere or who's a billionaire or these high up corporate executives, they're all somehow not globalists. Right. But everyone who's a left leaning billionaire is a globalist. Like I just heard Michael Savage ranting on his show today, but it's all about the internationalists versus the nationalists. And I was just thinking like, it doesn't even line up with any aspect of reality. It is like a bizarre false paradigm that's just does not make sense there's no way you can imprint that on the trump administration unless you think bannon you know is somehow like the real deal like he really is this anti-interventionist nationalist you know guy it just it just none of it adds up he's goldman sachs also this is just a (laughs) weird thing to me about this whole narrative it does not add up the alt-right's narrative it does not make sense it's when like you put a it all together, myth, yeah, it is a very weird myth. Like it almost applies more to, I don't know, like Pat Buchanan. You know, some mm. of the like like politicians who have existed before but aren't part of this now. It's just a weird. It's completely nonsensical to me. And he was also talking about the Rothschilds, which I thought was really fascinating. It's like, wow, he just sounds like Alex Jones now, pretty much. Oh my god. Um, speaking of Alex Jones, I'm sure everyone's heard this by now, but he's in a really controversial court battle with his ex-wife and custody battle over his three children. And his own lawyer, not the wife, um, his own lawyer's defense was that he is a performance artist and that his character on InfoWars um, is no different than Jack Nicholson playing the Joker in Batman. I mean, that's literally from the court document itself. So. Uh-huh. I wanted you to talk about this really quickly because I, you know, part of me almost believes that this is, he really does believe these things, but this makes way more sense that, you know, we, we were wondering what happened to InfoWars, especially during the Obama administration. It really seems like they, they rode that Pamela Geller gravy train really hard and started just selling supplements and male vitality pills and just started um, fear-mongering and bashing immigrants, Muslims, scapegoating everyone else yeah. for the crimes of empire. So I guess I wanted your insight on what you think about this. Do you think that that trajectory was kind of all fake? Well, well, I think I think whenever I hear Pamela Geller mentioned in this context, I always have to go back to Frank Gaffney because I think that Pamela Geller is almost like this sort of more like shrill Fox News version who's pushing Frank Gaffney's, all his think tanks information. And there's a, and and yeah, in terms of this custody lawsuit, which is basically what's happening right now is Alex Jones' ex-wife is suing him for custody of her children. Like, I think even just like 50% custody. Somehow he got full custody of the kids, which I am surprised by to begin with. Like, can you even believe that? That a judge originally granted him? So, a bunch of interesting personal details about Alex Jones came out in these public court records. And, and part of me does feel like it's, you know, not that I, I think Alex Jones deserves 
to not have, you know, have this stuff be public, but I do like, I don't want to like meddle in someone's like family affairs necessarily either. You know, his personal life to me is different than his, his sort of persona on Infowars or whatever. But what you mentioned is that his, one of his main defenses was that he's not anything like in real life what he's like on his show because he's playing a character that he's a, and the, the lawyer for him actually used the phrase performance artist. But then as the days in the trial sort of like went on, Alex Jones sort of refined the narrative and said that, you know, Glenn Beck is sort of the same thing as Alex Jones. You know, like one of Alex Jones' biggest rivals, Alex Jones is using Glenn Beck as a defense, saying like, it's sort of the same thing. Like, it's like 90% all real news with like performative elements added to it for like effect. So he's actually almost reversing on the idea that he's a performance artist. But what Alex Jones is, I think what he's trying to do with that is basically be able to be in court and try to convince a jury the videos that make him look like an abusive creep or like he treats his children badly if he does, that's him performing. You know, he'll be able to just selectively say, oh, that's a performance, that's a performance, that's a performance. Did you see what I'm saying? Like he'll be able to just pick and choose which things he shows the court that are performances and which ones aren't. And then there was like a video of him going on this like very aggressive homophobic rant against Representative Adam Schiff. And he, he just like went on like a swearing tangent. And I just really unusual to hear Alex Jones swearing that much. Like, you fucking bastard. Fuck you. Fucking asshole. Like, it was like really hmm. out of character for Alex Jones. And when I saw that video, I was like, something is happening in his world. Like, he's collapsing in some way. Um, and then this news came out about his custody battle like a week later. So I think that might might explain partly what's happening is he's just going through like some serious personal shit. But at the same time, he's not just getting sued by his wife. Like he's, there's other lawsuits accumulating against Infowars now, which is a sort of a new yeah. thing. Like, And this is in the wake of, I just want to interrupt really quickly. This is oh, in the yeah. wake of him offering that giant apology to john podesta clearly under threat Alphonsus of a lawsuit from specifically yeah. he offered it to mm-hmm. yeah and and yeah it's like why would he the only explanation for him doing that was to be dramatic and pretend like he was being sued or he was actually being threatened with legal action either way yeah. so i think because he's the biggest megaphone the biggest outlet that promoted pizzagate any lawyer is going to choose, you know, if, who's representing Alphantis or the Podesta brothers or whoever, that's the target you go after. You know, you don't go after Reddit and 4chan. You go after the biggest, uh, the top of the pyramid, the people who have the most money and biggest platform who are promoting this idea that this pizza parlor and, and you know, you and your brother were child sex traffickers. So um, it is very interesting, though, that this sort of comes on the heels of the fake news, you know, like controversy, like where it does seem like there is sort of a censorship campaign afoot to use as an example, like people like Infowars or other shrill alt-right or conspiratorial, you know, racist people as like, we need to shut this down, um, you know, because it's dangerous speech or whatever. And then, but we already see people like David Pakman and, um, and Kyle Kalinsky from Secular Talk being censored. Um, so there's already some kind of censorship campaign afoot. I don't know if it's connected to this, but it does 
make me think that if there's an opening here, like if Alex Jones really is knocked down right now, like if he's like, you know, like, um, I don't know, like, I don't know boxing at all. I was going to try to use like a boxing analogy and mm. I just, I just stopped myself because I don't know a goddamn thing about it. But if he was like, if he's like knocked on the ground right now, people who want to see him shut down are going to pounce on him. Um, and one of the ways to do that is in the form of lawsuits because he has said a lot of really, really irresponsible shit uh, for decades on his show. Um, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten sued in a major way already by someone. And he used to say, like when he would talk about Cheney and Bush, I remember he would say this all the time during the Bush era. You know, folks, the stuff I'm telling you, it's you know it's true, right? Or else I'd be getting sued out of business here. I'd be sued for libel, folks. Like Cheney's not going to sue me because he knows it's true. Like he would <laughs> he would use that line a lot um, mm-hmm. to sort of defend the, some of the wackier things he would say. But yeah, I mean, look what Peter Thiel did to Gawker. The Hulk Hogan lawsuit against Gawker for posting his sex tape was totally legitimate. I actually took Hulk Hogan's side. I thought that it was a huge violation of privacy what they did. It was an illegally filmed video. It wasn't even filmed with Hulk Hogan's permission. It was like some weird cuckolding situation with this guy named... Bubba the Love Sponge used to have like a show on the Howard Stern Network who's he let his wife have sex with Hulk Hogan and secretly filmed it. That's and insane. Then, do you did you remember this whole story? I remember it and I just I I it's yeah, such a weird it's hard story. to wrap my mind around, yeah. So basically what happened is in the video Hulk Hogan says some racist stuff about how he doesn't want his daughter dating black guys. So and he had already said like some racist things in like other like in a private phone call to his son in jail another time. So like the WWF ended up Basically, not I don't even know if it's WWF, whatever the wrestling organization he works for, like kicked him out because of this video because it was like proof that he really was a racist, but it was like a secret sex tape <laughs> recorded so without crazy. his permission. So Peter Thiel, apparently, this is the, how the story goes, and I guess Intercept and some other people were the ones who broke this aspect of it, is that he was actually secretly funding the, the, the Hogan uh, lawyers, the legal team. So what was normally could have been like settled out of court for an amount of money that would have been affordable to Gawker, it turned into like an extremely aggressive legal battle that basically sued Gawker into bankruptcy, which is a pretty impressive thing, even for one billionaire to be able to do, to shut down like an immediate outlet like that. So he found an opening, which was Gawker really fucked up broadcasting that video. Peter Thiel used that and latched on to several other lawsuits that were ongoing against Gawker. And as someone, I think it was actually Nick Denton, the guy who runs Gawker, described it as death by a thousand cuts. Mm. If any media organization gets constantly sued over and over and over again, they won't be able to survive. That's why media outlets have to like legally vet things sometimes. Like if they write a really controversial story that could get them sued, like they actually will hire a lawyer. Before they well, publish that's what's it. so weird. How has Alex Jones never been sued before? Well, well I mean, he probably, has. let's just assume he probably has yeah. been, but it's not gotten into the press or he wasn't famous enough for it to like be even something that we cared that's about. It's fascinating because it seems like, yeah, it seems like a million people could have sued him for libel, whether it be saying that people were sacrificing children that's or, true. or, you know, You're drinking right. the blood and whatever Bohemian Grove. I mean, God, every broadcast he's probably said something libelous <laughs> well even just the things he said about hillary clinton right. like 
he went on Joe Rogan and acted like he was talking about her her bombings in Libya and stuff, but he actually said that she like ate, like she sacrificed children and like murdered baby. Like he was like saying, like putting it in the personal that yeah. Hillary Clinton murders babies. And he was like, no, I meant like abortion. How the Democrats are like, it's like, no, you didn't see, you're not saying that though. Like any, like I've been, I've seen enough Alex Jones to know that is not what he meant. He was going on one of those little, you know, pumped up rants where he was basically saying Hillary Clinton was a demon. She smells like sulfur. He has sources in the secret service who think she's literally possessed by a demon like Linda Blair from the exorcist. He went in so much detail. There's absolutely no misconstruing what he said. So I hope in this court case that his wife and her lawyer are smart enough to like play these longer video clips because I could see him making a clever argument, being like, no, I meant this in this clip, you know, like, I didn't mean that. And then kind of winning the jury over. But like, if you watch him for long enough, you know, he, you can tell he's lying. Like at every turn, he wiggles out of every lie. And I'm surprised Joe Rogan let him wiggle out of all that Pizzagate stuff. Cause it was like, he was fully in. And then he started deleting videos and then lied about it and then admitted to deleting videos and then lied about that later. He deleted I absolutely that think he was threatened by a lawsuit. There's no way in hell that he would offer that giant legal statement just as some sort of farce. I mean, there's and, and the Ben Swan thing. I mean, come on. I, I feel like what happened was that the same thing happened to Ben Swan, happened to Alex Jones, where um, these lawsuits were, were threatened. But Ben Swan has a job to fall back on where he doesn't need to, like, foster whatever this this audience that he has because he just like deleted his stuff. I don't really, I'm, I'm speaking completely on conjecture here, but Alex Jones, um, this whole, like, I'm a performance artist. It just seems like he's now doubling down on like, I don't know, like, like going back and forth to just try to a hold on to his audience by saying like, no, 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 like this is all real. Yeah. Um, but then still being like, no, 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 like part of it. Yeah. I went too far. Yeah. Like, of course I do some performances like, yeah, I, I like play characters, but like, folks, this is all real and stuff. It's just really sad and desperate because you know that that's really all he has. I mean, he he really has built this empire based on this sensationalism and and fear porn. And now he like he's it looks like it could be threatened or undermined. So it's just weird to see him flip flopping on this. Yeah, I mean, even and I think it's it's really fascinating, actually, to go back and see the difference between some of the things he did that could have been libelous and some of the things that other people did. Like if you read, like if you, if you like listen to enough stuff, like uh, Alex Jones talking about nine 11, he very carefully like doesn't really create a cohesive narrative of who he thinks was, was involved, you know, like what actual people, you know, he might talk about Silverstein or something, but like, I mean, he does, it's like, that's his sort of his MO. That's why Bilderberg and the CFR are the enemies you know, and these mainstream politicians are the enemies. He he never goes after these actual power players. Like he never goes after the oligarchs, you know, who are not household names, you know, like you would think after so much experience doing this, he would have at least learned a little bit more than what the general public already knows about like who's running things, you know, it's just odd to me. Um, like he'll bring up Bill Gates all the time and he never brings up like like Mercer, like I, you know, like that's like, yeah. it's just interesting that he just doesn't bring up a lot of these other people. It's just always about the already existing narrative that he's siphoning energy from that really dates back to like the Bircher Society, um, the Barry Goldwater movement. It's just none, none of it's his own stuff. And I mean, I think that 
the only reason he's getting sued now is because he took the bait of Pizzagate. I think that's really what mm-hmm. happened. And because Trump is like, wants to like somehow make Alex Jones like part of his whole thing. Like that Trump actually has communication with Alex Jones now that he's president and stuff. Yeah, it was very, I, I just feel like it was him vying for power and slowly over the years he consolidated his talking points to become just an echo chamber of Breitbart. And then, you know, he saw his chance, just like Bannon saw his chance to latch on to someone like Trump and, and he won. And it's, it's disgusting to continue to see websites um, that claim to be like change agents, just echoing all of this insane propaganda, like following the protests in Berkeley. Like now there's another protests in Berkeley. I mean, there was one actually organized, I think, by Trump supporters just to incite violence a couple of weeks ago. And now there's another one because Ann Coulter's coming to speak and you see like all these people just like following them around acting like, yeah, like let's, instead of confronting politicians, let's just go confront like Antifa. Like, yeah, like that's where the fight's at. Um, forget about Trump. Forget about the Trump regime. Forget about all the wars we're starting. Let's just focus on Antifa. And like the free speech issue in this country, as if nothing, you know, this would be like something that would be interesting if like we weren't an empire starting all these wars and like the, the lives of millions of people hanging in the balance, you know, but unfortunately we are. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it's a little bit of a waste of time. Well, it's not just a waste of time. It's it's a total manufactured thing designed to create a political outcome. It's the most manufactured thing ever. I mean, you and I know that Oakland and Berkeley are, is a hotbed. Anytime there is a pr- large protest, an act of civil disobedience that lasts long enough, Black Bloc will be there at some point and start breaking shit. It happens mm-hmm. at, at a certain point. There is a tipping point in every protest where for some reason that always happens. They always come out and the cops usually never do anything about them. Like, they never actually specifically will go and pull black block people or wearing, like, masks out of the crowd and arrest them or anything like that. Like, they just sort of let it happen. And whoever is manufacturing this shit, like, they know that they can, that, oh, there's, like, these same groups that were operating during Occupy and, like, the Oscar Grant protests and stuff. Well, what if we basically just get, like, put out the bait and just keep coming to their location? Right. Like every like when we want to do a quote unquote free speech rally, and then basically we know the police are either going to be outnumbered or not do anything about them, and then the media will blow it up and be like, the media is like, or the the Berkeley city government, the police are enabling these violent protesters, and they're like they're making sure or they're just not protecting these people's free speech. It's a that's that's what they're doing. Yeah, um, and right. when I say they, I mean like the alt right people who are not civil libertarians. And, you know, it just pains me to see people who are civil libertarians. And yeah, you don't have to sympathize with the left, but at least know that these alt-right, quote-unquote, free speech people, they are siphoning energy from actual legitimate concerns of civil civil libertarian First Amendment constitutional rights and exploiting them for a partisan agenda that is completely revolving around being just pro the president of the United States, 
which and is how sad is it that they cheer on and they cheer on people who are now facing 20 years in jail for simply reporting on a protest at J20. Oh, well, they're part of the riot. Oh, they're part of these fascists. You know, now the Antifa are fascists suddenly and oh, they yeah. all deserve to be rounded up. So when you put out this, these talking points and when you, um, you know, suck up to the sitting president and call yourself like a change agent, you're just you're bolstering this narrative that's going to put people in jail, that's going to um, implement widespread crackdowns on protests, on activism, on journalism. Yeah. This is what's happening right now. I haven't seen one of these alt-right people come out on, on behalf of the people who are facing 20 years in felony charges for simply like live streaming a protest on J20 on the inauguration day. Why is that? Oh, because they're partisan assholes. Because they're because if they're not alt right, then they're automatically a leftist. Because everything on the left side of the spectrum, they conflate to be basically you're a leftist, communist, everything. Like there's no there's no nuance or like um, they don't differentiate. So it, it's it's it is really really infuriating because it has sucked in a lot of normal people who I don't think normally would be taking the side of these Trump protesters who who are because of the way that the media is falling into this and because of the way the alt-right has so masterfully spun the narrative. Like I would argue that they're actually winning this narrative because it's getting worse. Like that the, if, if they're going to keep coming back and like there's these street battles are going to get like more intense. Like it, I mean, I don't know. Like I just, I just, at this point I'm really, I am really concerned. Like I, and not like, I think civil war is going to break at any moment, but I'm just really concerned about how this is going to be used to demonize everybody on the left and how this is going to be spun to like reinforce the strength of this phony alt-right free speech. Like you're trying to censor us like, like that point of view. Cause that's not really, really what's happening here. No. And, and, but what's so weird is everyone was up in arms and crying about Richard Spencer getting sucker punched. Yet I see, I've seen all the alt-right people praising that dude, the white nationalist dude, and he's an admitted white nationalist who socked a woman in the face and it's just on camera and everyone's just like, oh, cool. Like she might as well be a man, dude. Like, yeah, you want gender equality? Fuck off. It's like that, that's, that's where we're at now. So oh, all, yeah, these, no, these, all these, these idiots who like were extremely upset about Richard Spencer getting punched in the face are cheering on this kind of activity. So there is no like consistency at all. Like, so it's just, they're just going to keep winning the argument because there's no common ground to find. And it's, and it basically, this is the sad part and, this, and it'll work is it, it's rooted in a childlike argument where I've actually talked to a lot of people who are more sympathetic to the alt-right in this, who are, who are smarter than the average alt-right, who are like, who are like, I feel like there's some hope in them left. So I'm like, dude, like the alt-right people, like there's video evidence of them all over the streets, like just assaulting people also. And like doing like these almost like jumping people in groups, you know, cause like that's to me, one of the most disgusting things that Antifa does if I was going to pick one thing that really does upset me is to see them like jumping people in, in large groups. Cause it's like, where yeah, I haven't even seen that. Where have they jumped people in large groups? I just haven't they, seen footage of that. They did it at Berkeley when, when Milo came last time, but it's like, I don't know who these people are, you know, and like, that's one of the fundamental problems with the Antifa is that it's a group that anybody can join and just dread and, yeah, and don like there. So I don't know who these people are, if they're actually Antifa or not, but like, I just think when you, attack someone in a group like an individual it's 
it's wrong, <laughs> you know, unless that person is like a, actually being violent and th- somehow a threat to like a large group of people. But now, I mean, there's plenty of video of the alt-right protesters at Berkeley doing the exact same thing. And the argument comes down to, well, Antifa started it. What do you expect <laughs> us to do? Like, that's really literally the argument that's being used now. And sadly, it will work because that's the narrative, is that somehow Antifa breaking a bunch of windows and starting a bonfire like they did at pretty much every Occupy is now seen as them starting like a violent assault on the alt-right. And that's how these people perceive it. So that anything they do at this point is somehow justified. Like even if someone open carry one of these protests and they shoot and murder someone, like a girl with dreadlocks who's wearing like a face mask... I, this, the craziest part is I guarantee you the majority of the alt-right will be like, they started it. Like that will Absolutely. be their defense. Absolutely. It's fucking scary. It is. And, and you see it happening with the woman who got punched. Um, that's exactly what they're saying. They're just making fun of her. They're, they're saying she deserved it, that, that more women should get punched. Um, and they were that saying Antifa that she was throwing it. bombs at them without any evidence. Like that's, that's why they're saying it's okay. She got punched when you like actually press them. It's like, Things are really, really bad. I, I really am shocked at how things are getting worse and people are getting stupider. Um, and now we're just up against not only the establishment, not only the all the neocons, the empire, the Hillary Clinton Democrats, but now all of these morons who think that it's super subversive and like that edgy to be like an alt-right Trump sycophantic bootlicker. And I, and I just feel like we're getting increasingly isolated and marginalized and it's super frustrating. And when it comes to global events, well, you see it too, where, you know, Infowars and all these people always were like very anti-left and they were always like, you know, Chavez is a dictator and like blah, 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 like, like really hateful of all like South American, and Latin American politics. But it's interesting when you look at like, you know, they're really quick to call out the Syria chemical weapons attack being like not necessarily the way it's told or the Russia Crimea thing, not the way it's told, but you do not see any defense or media scrutiny about all of Latin or South America. So, so again, we're facing a big hurdle now where, and Korea, right? North Korea. Like That's I've true. never oh heard my God. any of Alex them. Jones is full dude, balls dude. to the wall, like aggressive towards North Korea. He wants so, us to attack. So him. it's like, Nuts. yeah, there's like a sliver of the alt-right who are like, we're like against the Syria war, but how quickly is that going to change once we're going into war with Venezuela and North Korea? Probably real quickly because these morons think that they're communists and they think communism is left and they think all leftists should be exterminated and they think leftists are fascists and they're so stupid that they will be the brown shirts to push the empire into the most catastrophic deadly wars of our generation. And I, I actually believe that now and I'm seeing it every day more and more. And they already, and they already have been like, even if, and just on a non-physical level, the information they're putting out is designed to rile people up. It's like, they no longer care about putting out a truthful narrative, doing investigative reporting, putting out, you know, finding out new information. They're into like, just fucking like with like a uranium, depleted uranium shell, just being able to penetrate sort of the membrane of like our cultural dialogue in any way they can to get their talking points out to like, to get their agenda going. I mean, it's the same tradition as right wing talk radio, AM talk radio culture, Fox news, drudge report. And now just all these smaller 
younger people have figured out how to do it and they're doing it even more hardcore, disgusting way. And it's, it, unfortunately it's working. And that's really what Trump was able to capitalize on, I think. And I wanted, and, and, and I know that we have a lot of other like things that are going on right now, but I have to bring it to the Moab thing because this is a perfect example of Trump morons just, first of all, believing everything that Trump and or the U.S. military say, including these people that we're talking about right now. All of a sudden, um, like we say in every podcast, the dehumanization of ISIS has become so much more extreme than Al-Qaeda that now like people like, you're a complete idiot if you don't support whatever the hell the U.S. military says that they want to do to ISIS. And this is a perfect example of this Moab, the mother of all bombs. Wow, the biggest dick measuring contest I've ever seen, where Trump all of a sudden dusts off this bomb that was built during the Bush administration. Each one comes down to about 16 million, right? The money can definitely be spent on other things. Mm -hmm. These bombs have been sitting there because probably even the Bush administration were like, well, these are way too crazy to drop, right? Well, Trump, being the psycho that he is, um, just probably didn't even need much convincing at all. He's surrounded by all these generals and they're probably like, yeah, man, well, we have these, these other bombs. Um, and he was probably just like, yeah, do it. He probably didn't even like want any intelligence, nothing. He was just like, yeah, just drop this huge ass bomb. That's the biggest non-nuclear bomb that we've ever built that has ever been used on any sort of warfare military operation in the history of the world, non-nuclear, a blast radius of a mile and I dared, right when I heard that this was happening, I was watching the news real time, of course, just like the Syria bombing. Everyone's glorifying it, praising it, saying it's great. All these generals parading around the media, showing these stupid fucking maps of Al-Qaeda caves, now ISIS caves, that I remember seeing 16 years ago that Karl Rove and Cheney were parading around the media, the same outlets. Here we are 20 years later. The same maps are being used to justify dropping this goddamn giant bomb in the middle of a populated province. And I got actually viciously attacked all over my social media for, for three days by a bunch of Sam Harris, Alex Jones, Trump retards who said that, oh my God, are you claiming that Afghanistan has the same population density as Manhattan? Because I said 95,000 people live here. By the way, this isn't all goats and mountains. There's people who live in this district. I know that it's really hard to humanize Afghans or brown people when you're paying for them to die every day. I know it's super, super hard, but remember, this isn't in the middle of nowhere. This isn't in a desert. Um, this is where people live. People live and suffer, and they have been for the last 20 years at the hands of our military. So yeah, just reminding people, hey, 95,000 people live in this giant district, by the way, that we're dropping the biggest bomb we've ever dropped other than a nuclear weapon. Everyone's like, you fucking idiot. Like, you think that Afghanistan's populated? You don't want to kill ISIS? You don't, th you don't, <laughs> no civilians died. No civilians died. No civilians died. Well, so this is what I was getting for three days. Here, here it comes. Ready? So here it comes. Um, after no one cares, after everyone sucks up the propaganda that they're told from the same military that brings us into endless wars and catastrophes and lies about everything, they suck it up, they lap it up, they talk shit to anyone who dares to question it. 70% of Americans supported this, dropping this bomb. Um, and then it comes out, what oh, do you know? No one's been able to access the site. 
Okay, so no one's been able to access the site. Defense Secretary James Mattis said he does not intend to discuss the damage estimates, but just believe it, Robbie. All the people who died are ISIS. All the people who live there are ISIS. No one lives there. No one was affected. Um, shut up. Shut up about it, right? Um, and not only has is Mattis refusing to discuss what actually happened, an Afghan official said, and this is by the Common Dreams. You guys can look it up. Um, an Afghan official said um, there has been no confirmed reports yet but no but no coalition forces or afghan officials or american officials according to this one guy have even made it to the site um this one guy who's a provincial council member once again there's a province people live there there's government representatives there he said local officials in Achin told him that neither afghan nor american forces had arrived at the site since the bombing they locked it up they blocked it off um, and the spokesperson for the Afghan commandos said it's not true that the members of U.S. forensics are at the scene. He said no one is there. Um, Agency France Press said security forces are blocking both journalists and local residents from accessing the site. Um, once again, this is a bomb that it made you deaf if you were in like a two mile radius. Um the statement could not be independently verified about no civilian casualties, about the amount of ISIS that were killed. Um, AFP correspondents turned away, no sign of fighting. They, they keep being told that there's still like active operations going on and that no journalists or any officials can get there at all. One of the guys who fled from Achen, once again, people live there, Ahmed John. He said his whole family is there. He said he has no idea if his relatives are alive or his house is there. He was like, I haven't been able to get there. He says, quote, no one can go there. They have completely blocked the area. I don't know if my house is destroyed. They have not shown any dead bodies to anyone. Um, And then this other guy, a writer based in Kabul, said... Two hills obstructed view of the bombed area. American helicopters flew overhead. He said, every time we sought permission to visit, they found excuses to keep us away. Operation is ongoing. There's still Daesh, Islamic State fighters. The area is being cleared. Don't worry. No civilians were hurt. This is what like American like uh, military officials have just keep putting out to any journalist mm-hmm. who tries to access it. And this is what he said. It really hits at home. He just said, in the end, he's like the mother of all bombs became the star of a grotesque reality television show. We know how much it weighs, what it costs, its impact, its model number, its code name. But we know nothing about the people it killed except they're supposed to be nameless, faceless, cave-dwelling Islamic State fighters. It's just a a loud bomb followed by the most loud silence from the world. Yeah, And it's sick. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw this clip of Lindsey Graham on Fox and Friends um, asking what he thought of Trump now that he's like bombed Syrian uh, army bases and dropped this Moab and he's doing something about North Korea. And Lindsey Graham literally seemed like he was having an orgasm in his pants. Like he was jizzing. Like he was like moving around in his chair and he was like, I I like Trump a lot now. Like, I can't believe it. This is the happiest I've been in a long time. Like he was like so elated. It was horrifying. I have never, I just, and it, and it is true. Like, and I don't subscribe to this narrative that the deep state is versus Trump and they're trying to take Trump down necessarily, but it, it's true that the heat has turned down on Trump. This heat that was coming against him, like from all different sides, it's dialed down now. Like they're not something about this media framework that we're in the dialogue it's like not as we're no longer as scared of trump having the nuclear codes anymore 
You know, he's, he's a bumbling fool now. Oh, he's getting these little scandals now. Like, oh, he sent the ship to the wrong place in North Korea. Like, oopsie. Like, it's not like seriously going. It doesn't seem like the media is seriously trying to dig their claws into him as much right now. This shit, they love this shit. And I bet you some idiot out there is writing some think piece right now about how, oh, actually the reason why the U.S. military couldn't let anyone on the scene after the Moab blast is because they're CIA tunnels and, you know, we got to protect our, protect our own like classified like stuff. Don't you remember that? You remember the CIA tunnel thing? What? That they, that, that, that they basically let the Taliban access their tunnels? Or yeah, what? well, that too. Yeah, so so back in when when they were training the mujahideen in Afghanistan to fight Russia, yeah, they like helped construct these tunnels for the Taliban and have been using them ever since to first justify the invasion of Afghanistan, right? And now they're using them to justify the dropping of the Moab like twenty years after that. It's like, wow, how long are these tunnels? going to be a reason to just keep destroying a country. That's I mean, how, how could these tunnels still exist after all this time? Oh my God. Can you imagine if like 20 years from now we're like ISIS is like, or like some new terrorist group is like hiding in like Syrian tunnels built by the FSA. Like we have to, <laughs> we have to blow up these tunnels. It's like, wait, wait, who, who, who is the FSA again? Like we're, who funded them? Like, I don't remember, but we got to blow up these fucking tunnels. They're dangerous. They're terrorist tunnels. And it was so crazy, too, when the Moab was dropped. First of all, no one seemed to question the fact that we are still in Afghanistan or that these charts were used to initially invade Afghanistan 16 years ago. So everyone's just like, yeah. oh, cool. Like, yeah, we're still in Afghanistan. Literally cool, yeah, drop this bomb. Who gives a shit? The longest running official like military occupation in yeah. America's history. Absolutely. To let that sink in for a little bit. If you want to, you know, you want to fight against this this empire and these endless wars go all the way back to afghanistan and look at the chronology of afghanistan and just remember and try to if you don't remember try to like make yourself remember look at shit from right after 9-11 we were absolutely bombarded like an almost like a nuclear blast of propaganda following 9-11 that made like virtually no one question the rationale for going into afghanistan I mean, it was almost like a given. Like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, of course we have to do something about this. Right. Yeah, like that. Bin Laden's over there. Um, there's so many bizarre, not not even missteps, but things that do not add up to the narrative that we went into Afghanistan to go after Al-Qaeda and Bin Laden. It just doesn't add up. I mean, <clears throat> I've, I've, I've looked through archival footage where the news broadcasts were actually announcing to the world that the bombing was not going to target Bin Laden for the first two months, like on like ABC news, like Ted Koppel, like saying this to the world, you don't think that's going to get to bin Laden? Well, was it right. like a head fake? No, it wasn't a head fake. That's actually what they did. They literally gave him like a two month lead. So if that's why we attacked Afghanistan, it's just pathetic and, and sad that no one has really, no one's has seriously gone back to question that besides like Adam Curtis, you know, from power of nightmares or, you know, very few, but very few journalists have, um, most journalists don't even talk about it being in an immoral war. Just Iraq is. It's like, why is that one the smart war, as Obama and John Kerry used to allude to it being? It just, it's really, really sad. It really yeah. saddens me. Yeah, and, and Adam Curtis, The Power of Nightmares, everyone should watch it because it reminds everyone how there really was no reason to go out in Afghanistan, of course. And and he's surrounding the British military and embedding himself and, and all these 
um, sergeants and stuff who were, I mean, mind you, this is like six months into the war. And he was just like, well, how many Al Qaeda have you captured? And he's like, none. He was like, none. Well, how many, he's like, well, how many, uh, he's like, how many have you killed? He's like, none. And he's like, we're just blowing up a bunch of mountains. So I don't know if they just didn't find the caves or the tunnels or, um, I don't know what happened, Robbie, but that's, that's what happened in the aftermath of, of the initial invasion was that there were no underground bin Laden fortresses or Al Qaeda tunnels, um, back then. So I don't, I don't know what happened or how they've suddenly been built again over the last 20 years or how even ISIS got there. It's like all of a sudden, this was the first time I even heard that ISIS was in Afghanistan, but yet there's no analysis at all from any of these military officials, like giving some sort of assessment on when did ISIS get into Afghanistan? What, what their role is there? Like Mm -hmm. how they work with or against the Taliban and instead, well, yeah, it's just ISIS like, oh, just it's just everywhere a given. Now. Yeah, it's just a given. It's like, oh, well, if ISIS is in Texas, are we going to drop a fucking Moab there too? And people are just going to cheer it on? Um, and uh, the Afghanistan thing too, it's like, also, we've been losing the war forever. Um, there is no war to win. They literally are still there just to say that we haven't like lost the war because they just want to save face. So what we're doing there is have a bunch of U.S. soldiers on these random bases that they go just patrol to say like, yeah, we're still here. And he said every time they go out on on patrol, they either get blown up by an IUD or shot by the Taliban. They're just like surrounding these bases now. They've completely lost the war they have for years. They just refuse to send the troops home. Yeah. Uh, why is that? Hmm. Well, maybe because 90% of the world's heroin comes from Afghanistan. That's weird. And this is the only country next to Kenya, I think, that we're actually recording every phone call more than just data mining and and collecting the metadata. We are recording every single phone call made in the country. Um, We have been occupying it longer than any other country in our nation's history. Yet for some reason, after we invaded, now 90% of the world's heroin still comes from there. Maybe that's why we can't end the war. Maybe we're going to find out that there is a giant drug trafficking thing going on. Yeah, we already know. It's already been reported that a group of serial killing soldiers who have formed their own little like cult based around how many random dead civilians they could accumulate. They were like getting like super jacked up on like Afghani hash before they would go out and do these murders. I mean... That and that happened like five years ago. So if like things actually seem like they're like it's you, you wouldn't be able to get away with that as easily as an American soldier because you'd probably get killed now. Like things seem actually worse and less safe. Uh, did, I don't know if you just mentioned I, I wasn't paying attention for a second, but did you mention the Taliban went into an Afghan uh, like pro U.S. you know Afghan army base and killed like 130 soldiers? Yeah, isn't that insane? It's I didn't mention it. Nuts. Talk about it. Yeah. I mean, so things are definitely like worse than they used to be in ter- and i mean worse not as violent like not as unsafe for american soldiers i don't i, I honestly don't care i i believe that american soldiers are illegally occupying afghanistan and as much as i sympathize for the soldiers when, when they were very young they shouldn't be over there um we shouldn't be over there i don't know if i've if i've ever told you this story abby and i've never definitely never told it on the podcast and without mentioning his name I knew someone who served in Afghanistan and after they came back, they basically told me that they spent their majority of time in Afghanistan shooting up intravenous drugs um, and smoking Afghani weed like 90% of the time. Sounds fun. What? Sounds fun. 
this guy that I knew uh, said he had access to ketamine, Valium, morphine. He was actually a medic. And somehow he seemingly just had an infinite, endless supply of intravenous medical grade drugs. And uh, they would just get high all the time um, in Afghanistan. So if that's just not a, a window into what, like how, what we're doing there is just, we shouldn't, there's no reason to be there. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know what is. Oh, and, and the crazy thing is his entire unit, like all the other soldiers were just doing all these drugs at the same time. Like there wasn't even anybody who was sober, like who was like on patrol. I mean, that's what it seemed like when he was describing it. I was just mm-hmm. like, I don't even, don't even understand how, do you, are you just not supervised by anyone? And he's like, no, like he even described like the, some of the other medics were just into doing a bunch of drugs too. And I was just like, but so who's like in charge here? You know, oh like, God, it just, just sounds like an anarchy almost like Lord of the Flies with like tons of fucking drugs and weapons. It's, it's really, really disturbing. It's unbelievable how 70% of Americans hear the word ISIS and they're like, well, yeah, do whatever the hell you need to kill these people. Judge, jury, executioner, hundreds thousands doesn't care doesn't care the american public does not care um and i and and neither do these so-called anti-interventionists and you know this is the worst of all robbie all these people want to talk to me and squabble over how many oh you want to say a million two million people died in iraq and and squabble over these numbers and you know this whole sam harris argument with like these new atheists it's like okay you want to trust like the U.S. military and empire giving you data from civilian deaths? That's on you, brah. Um, but let me just say this. Let me say this. A new article from the L.A. Times called Civilian Casualties from Airstrikes Grow in Iraq and Syria, but few are ever investigated. Okay, sounds, sounds normal, right? Um, we already talked about how Trump is changing the rules of engagement openly. Um, he just did it in Somalia, too. Um, basically just giving the military full authority to kill, ordered strikes without higher commands, all this stuff. But here's what really hit me in this article. And it's really down in the middle of the article, too. You would think it would be like the first line, right? So here's what real, really struck me. It says, coalition warplanes have carried out 20,205 strikes in Iraq and Syria since 2014 according to the latest published numbers. Okay, wow, that's a lot of strikes, right? A lot of bombing campaigns in Iraq and Syria just in the last three years. Actually, not even three years. It's not even like the middle of 2017. So think about it. In the last two and a half years, that's how many strikes have been carried out. Okay, sounds like a lot. We already know that Obama dropped, you know, hundreds of thousands of bombs across the Middle East, tons of bombs, blah, blah, blah. We don't really hear, you know, we hear about civilian deaths and drone strikes. Usually it's not that many, um, the, that one horrible carpet bombing of a neighborhood the other week where Trump killed 230 civilians was shocking. You know, it was really, really shocking. So this report says that out of the 20,205 strikes, the Pentagon says has killed more than 70,000 militants. Let me repeat that. According to the latest numbers, in, since 2014... Coalition warplanes led by the U.S. have carried out 20,000 strikes in just Iraq and Syria, which have killed 70,000 militants. The Pentagon officials have also said that they have killed just 229 civilians over that time. 70,000 militants, 229 civilians. 
That's absolutely fucking nuts. That's how many people we're killing. And people that will hear these numbers will be like, oh, cool. 70,000 ISIS fighters were killed. Are you fucking kidding me? It, it does. It, I'm just trying to compute what that means. I mean, so how do they, I, I guess, do they even say in the article how the determine, how do, what is the determination for saying that someone's a civilian or a militant? That's a great question. This because article, a militant, yeah. such an open ended, weird, it's not even saying they're an ISIS member. Like, true. What, why, true. why wouldn't it just say that? True, because remember what militant meant? Remember in the Obama yeah, administration, that's what I'm those, saying. those it's rules like a, of engagement came out. Yeah, that just said you have to be a military-aged male in the vicinity of a strike zone to be considered a militant. Even if those numbers are true, I mean, I, I, I'm just, my mind is just so blown. I know you already, we already talked about this before we, we started doing this today, but like, I just don't understand how 70,000, even if they were all militants, that don't, I mean, I just don't see how that's even possible. Like, where, where are all their bodies? Like, is it just, does the article go into any more detail about, like, what percentage of them are ISIS, maybe? Or, like, where, where, if they're, like, some of them are from, like, other organizations? It doesn't say anything like that? It basically just talks about how difficult it is to assess civilian deaths and, and how little, like, these areas are actually analyzed and how, you know, victims, like, family members are just never interviewed. And it just goes into more, like, a humanizing tone of this. But, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't break down the whole ISIS discrepancy. But, I mean, it, it's just so amazing that that is just a stat... They're just completely obfuscated. But why would they like, admit that even if they did kill 70,000 militants? That seems like, why would they admit to do, killing that many people in general? In this day and age, it seems like an, just a strange PR move to come out with a number that high. Be like, yeah, we killed 70,000 militants. Like, fuck yeah. It's like, why, what? Like, do you, <laughs> think that's a tr- do you think that's because Trump is in office they would put out a stat like that? I, I just I don't mean, understand I don't know, it. Robbie. All I know is that the Pentagon released it and no one's reporting on it. And this is this LA article. Times. Yeah, Los Angeles Times by Molly Hennessy Fisk. You know, especially in light of all these idiots just uh, making memes about me for a week saying like, you fucking idiot, I can't believe you think that we're <laughs> killing other people other than ISIS. It's like, not a peep. Well, not a peep. I guess 70,000 just random people in the Middle East who are executed are all ISIS militants. End of story. Turn on America dancing with the stars. Like, what in the hell is going on here? You and I wear our heart on our sleeve when it comes to, like, our political beliefs. Like, we find this reprehensible, you know, completely amoral, totally wrong to be doing this kind of stuff. People like Sam Harris and his followers, they want to believe it's for a good cause. They want that. They want to believe. They don't, they're so anti-religion, but yet they hold on to this myth, this belief that it's for a good cause. Therefore, their biases are inherently going to try to pull down any casualty stat to be like the lowest possible and then to not blame the U.S. in the process. So when Sam Harris gets down to that consensus you know the mainstream consensus on 200,000 yet there is a lot of evidence to suggest it was far more than that there's like a mainstream sort of liberal anti-war generic cookie cutter thing where it's like 200,000 that's the number Sam Harris latches onto that number but then yet you see him just like when he's talking about Michael Brown and Ferguson 
leaning towards a very specific bias, which is like, well, and then you really break that down and you look at these articles from like, the, you know, these publications and by these authors, the, the number actually becomes much lower when you look at um, civilians who died and then like some of those were militants. And then he also says most of them, even the civilians were killed in sectarian violence, not from the U.S. military. So he even like whittles down that number to an even like, Un, like unknowable, even lower amount, like far, far lower. They think that they're logical, but in fact, they are driven by this emotional belief that America does things out of altruism. Totally. Like it's doing it out of good faith. And even if a bunch of civilians die, we didn't murder those people for no reason. We did it because we're trying to stop dangerous terrorists. Right. So what does that really tell you? I mean, unless there's something that's like blatantly egregious, like horrible, that everybody thinks is horrible like torture or actually no a lot of new atheists think i mean sam harris has argued on behalf of certain forms of torture so never mind on that one um (laughs) i don't know try harder than that and don't talk about the nuclear bomb either because we all know that they love that too you mean hiroshima yeah yeah well it saved lives (laughs) did you see speaking of uh i know we were talking about comedy earlier robbie have you seen the david cross special it was before Trump won, but wow, it is amazing. There's so many great no, jokes. No, I didn't. I don't think I really saw. Really should watch it. I've I haven't seen his stand up in a really long time since uh, "Shut Up, You Fucking Baby." Yeah, is like you really, really should old. watch it. Did you end up finishing the Dave Chappelle? One? No, I couldn't watch. I couldn't watch the Dave Chappelle one. I, what about the C- Louis C.K.? Yeah, one? that was amazing. Oh, so you end up really, really it. great. Yeah, but yeah, this least, one, I loved his gay. Uh, yeah. Thing it is so it so good but david cross has this amazing joke that i'm probably gonna butcher but he's talking about like gun violence <laughs> and like half of his half of his skit is just him actually performing like impersonations of people and um this one you know he's talking about all the people who are dying by gun violence and sandy hook and stuff and he's like every time you have these people coming out of the news and being like what how many more people have to die before our government does something about it and he's like and you know what i crunched the numbers he was like (laughs) and the amount of people who have to die are 1765 and he was like but here's the thing it's not cumulative he was like it has to be all at once he was like go big or go home (laughs) it was like the most and then he acts out the skit of like like some girl dying and like the guy her dad is like some gun toter and he's just like freedom isn't free honey and he like he like acts out the whole funeral he's like carrying his daughter's body in the room <laughs> and the nra is like get the body out of here <laughs> you have to watch it it's really good but like unfortunately david cross is a little bit of a you know he's a generic, little bit of a generic liberal yeah. too but oh my god yeah. it's so good it's not cumulative <laughs> yeah there's another there's another comedian who kind of used to be beloved by the alt-right this is something funny that the alt-right does is they're into the, like certain comedians cause, who are like very like, th- like there's a weird relationship between yeah. comedy world and alt-right, like Opie and Anthony and like Gavin McGinnis and, and those people. But uh, this guy named Jim Jeffries, who's used to be like beloved by these alt-right people because he was like very like, he did a lot of like comedy about like how annoying his wife was, which a lot of these red-pilled alt-right people, like they just Im- interpret it as, oh, this guy's like a red-pilled guy. Like they think Bill, Bill Burr is red pilled, um, and then whenever his he has a wife and she happens to be black, whenever she like gets on his podcast, you're like, oh no, Bill's a cuck again. Like he's having his fucking wife. Like he needs to get red pilled again. Like all the there's like tons of comments. It's just embarrassing, cringe really shit. I mean this this guy who just shot that random old man on Facebook Live, like. 
for all I know, that dude was a red pilled, like alt right guy who like read a bunch of like red pilled shit on the internet. He like got so upset at his breakup or his girlfriend that he went on a killing spree. Yeah, and blamed it on her. He was like, just yeah. so you know, this is why I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, Great, like, I'm psycho. sorry, but get over the shit. It's, I mean, yeah, you might have had a fucked up relationship. Your partner might have done something fucked up to you, but do not get in a perpetual state of feeling like w- there's a conspiracy for, like, women to destroy you, which is basically what the red pill movement is. And I just totally went off on a completely <laughs> ridiculous tangent, but Jim Jeffries, uh, I think you would like his special, Abby, and probably other people who liked, like, David Cross's gun gun jokes yeah um because he did a really good special recently it's on netflix about like american gun laws and like when he did that like a shitload of like alt-right people were like fuck this guy like he's a lib now he's like a hillary lib he's a leftist <laughs> Just that after the david cross thing he's like and i have the perfect place he's like the kentucky derby <laughs> he was like seriously he's like no one's gonna care God, he, he needs to get red pilled again. <laughs> yeah, well, you stop know, stop talking funny? about David guns Cross and start talking about women. Edge where he was like, not really. I'm not. He wasn't like alt right leaning, but he was <sighs> like flirting on this edge for a while, where he was kind of like making fun of liberalism. He actually on the very first season on of uh, the Colbert show. I don't know if you remember this character he used to do. He used to do the liberal counterpart to Stephen Colbert. He would come on as this like bald no. guy with a fro, like a bald fro. You don't remember this? No. And I don't even, fuck, I wish I remember the character's name, but he would basically do like a David Cross, like parody of like a generic liberal, like head up his ass guy while arguing with Stephen Colbert. And it was like a really, it was actually a really funny bit. And then there was a, like a period where David Cross was doing stuff with Gavin McGinnis. Um, he did a Ugh. he did a weird sequel show to Aqua Teen Hunger Force where Gavin McGinnis did one of the voices. There was like oh four characters. And it was David Cross, Gavin McGinnis, and like what? Michael Sarah, I think was one of them. So there's some weird shit going on here. Like I was actually thinking, wouldn't it be funny if like Gavin McGinnis was like a government plant to like <laughs> like ruin? <laughs> it sounds like t- hilarious to even think like consider that Vice. Like is like a is a psyop, and then like Gavin McGinnis like goes to like the you know like the burgeoning alt right like trendy right, and then like Shane Smith works the trendy left, you know, at the same time, <laughs> like a two handed like like psyop. God, I can't believe he was like in with all these famous comedians. It's so weird. He's such a loathsome person. Well, Gavin I mean, McGinnis. his vice the vice thing I think just gave him a shitload of cred, you know? Right. Like right. I mean, vice was hot. For a mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like, I mean, they were like, it was like a really hot thing. Like, nobody thought it was uncool. Right. That I knew. Like, right. I was just like amazed by that at the time. You know, and I'm kind of a hater. So I was I was like, why does every, everybody love this? Like, when I read it, it just annoys me, you know? But. Yeah. <laughs> um, I forgot to say, you know, I mentioned Somalia really quickly, how they're changing the rules of engagement not to completely change the subject but i just wanted to also tell people that we're sending ground troops to somalia for the first time since black hawk town yeah really mogadishu yeah dude so screw it you know all all gloves are off wherever there might be a terrorist we're gonna just send in ground troops non-interventionism style trump style so sending in several dozen ground troops lifting the rules of engagement in this article talking about how 
this one general, one of the million that surrounds Trump, he's just like, I think it's really important and very helpful for us to have more flexibility, a little bit more timeliness in terms of decision making, <laughs> basically saying it allows us to prosecute targets in a more rapid fashion, aka allows us to bomb the shit out of everything, kill whoever we want with no real qualms. And it's also kind of like we get to kill like black Muslim, like, yeah, like we're going to like get some of our white supremacy on like for real <laughs> like all these so like crazy sort of like sp- people who may might secretly have like kkk linkages like if you want to play around with that theory like there's going to be some kind of disturbing influence of that if they're waging a war a ground war yeah. in somalia i mean mm-hmm. even if it's just special forces that's that's weird that's just yep. weird to think about yeah and let's um and let's also talk about Assange, because here's another giant flip-flop from Trump. You know, here here's Trump saying, I love WikiLeaks. I love WikiLeaks. 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 (laughs) WikiLeaks. So he loved Julian Assange. Julian Assange probably was starry-eyed thinking that he might, there was a sliver of a chance that he might have gotten a pardon because of Le Pen, that far right-wing candidate in France, was already saying that she would pardon Assange. So he probably thought like, wow, I really did help cinch in this presidency for Trump, there might be a small chance that he might pardon me, which is really naive. I mean, maybe he wasn't thinking that. I have no idea. All I know now is that Trump, it's amazing. I don't even think that like Hillary would have done this. Like, it's just crazy that Trump is like going beyond what I, so many other people have done while like not giving a flying F about any of his base or, or his promises at all. Like this soon, you know, like to just like go balls to the wall, like the opposite of what you said you were going to do and like the worst ways and just be like, whatever. Well, it let's let's say that Trump is actually like opportunistically making strategic moves right now for his own PR first hundred days. This is my theory. And really and- quickly say what this is, because I didn't even say what the news was about Assange. But yeah, go on. Oh, yeah. Well, Mike Pompeo. Uh, Trump's CIA director did this big press conference about how uh, Assange needs to be stopped and WikiLeaks is like basically subverting the U.S. government is like dangerous, just like a foreign intelligence agency. They're a stateless intelligence agency, hostile intelligence agency, he called them. Um, you, he basically amped up, you know, the same, there was a, there was a lawsuit, not a lawsuit, <laughs> what am I talking about? There was an actual arrest warrant being like, you know, sort of held in limbo for Julian Assange under the Obama administration for a long time. Like they were federal government was trying to figure out what to do with him. We don't know if they were involved in any way in that Swedish, you know, rape like incident, you know, it seemed like a honey trap, but like, we don't know like what they actually did beyond that. You know, that it's, there was rumors the UK government was going to bust into the embassy and kidnap him. But now we actually have a drastic change in a, huge reversal. I think this can legitimately be called a reversal, even though Michael Tracy told me when I spoke to him last week that nothing Trump does could be called a reversal Why? because he was so all over the map with everything, which I guess is a fair point. But at the same time, it's like, but there were certain things people really held on to and, 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 and then, and then that Trump fed into it's like, so then once the, the, even if he was ran, even if Trump was randomly throwing things around to see what would stick, once they stuck, he would like use them and, and play off of them. So like those, those were in essence, his positions, you know, then you could say any politician is just all over the map on anything. And then like just randomly picks and chooses, you know? Yeah, I mean, that, totally. So I don't think, 
I don't think that argument really holds up. So, but this is genuinely, I don't think you could say this isn't a reversal because Pompeo himself was actually tweeting out Podesta email stories from, from the WikiLeaks like last year. And uh, Pompeo is not a good guy. I don't know why a lot of people thought that Trump was going to like make all of his staff and all of his lower downs like be pro Julian Assange. I mean, Pompeo is an, is a neocon. He's <laughs> pro waterboarding. He's pro torture. Like that's an actual difference from the last eight years and including a lot of the CIA people um, were actually, a lot of them were not pro waterboarding even under Bush. I mean, that's part of how it got leaked out. So it's like to have like a CIA director be pro waterboarding um, and actually say he's pro torture is pretty nuts, I think. Um, and I don't know if he says that anymore, but he used to say it. Especially know. after it was a big deal, I thought, with like people. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, a dumbass who got sucked into Iraq war propaganda like Christopher Hitchens realized that waterboarding was torture. But he was dumb enough to think that it wasn't until he had it tried on him. You know, like, which right. is just, like, b- insane to think about. It's like, dude, just wa- like, just think about the concept of someone pouring water on your face. It's, it's obviously torture. Like, you would have to be in complete denial to be willing to actually lay down on a table and have someone do it to you until you believe it was it. torture. <laughs> but that which just speaks, it speaks to his intellectual capacity that he was in that heavy denial. And he's considered this intellectual wizard, master wizard in the uh, new atheist movement. What does that say about these people? That's your like best guy. Hitchens had to get go to that point. I mean, yeah, he put his money where his mouth was, but I mean, God, like that really shows that he was in denial. Right. Something he just wasn't thinking the bigger picture. It's like, dude, I just think I find that kind of fascinating. It is really fascinating. Totally. <laughs> so yeah, and and Assange is now dealing with um Trump and Pompeo and all these people just saying we're preparing arrest charges. I have no idea how, what are they going to do? He's a foreign national living essentially in another country. Well, because yeah, that, I mean, that's what living, an embassy that's their, is. That's their uh, territory. Yeah, that's what an embassy is. That's why they couldn't arrest Assange when he first got in the embassy. Remember that giant standoff where we actually were watching live thinking like, holy shit, they're really going to storm the embassy. And if they do, it's going to be a huge international incident because you're invading a sovereign country. At that point, that's what an embassy is. So that's why they haven't been able to touch him. He's been trapped in this embassy. Hold up. So it's stunning. I mean, I guess all rules are off the table with this regime for Trump and and his cronies to just be like, we're preparing charges to arrest him. Like, how? How are you going to arrest him? You're going to storm it with commandos? You're going to like helicopter in and and take this guy out? I mean, the hell are you guys talking about? I would not be surprised if Trump did that. Yeah. Why? I mean, would that really be that? No. Out of character for him no. or his people? I mean, and then what? Right. Then then Assange is going to go to jail. I mean, is it going to be like a show trial? Because like it seems like they're making a show out of this announcement. This is what a lot of this stuff looks like to me. This is still his first one hundred days. It's so Why crazy. is he doing all this stuff in the last like fifteen days of his hundred days? Trump beyond anything is a narcissist and an egomaniac and wants to be remembered as being a good president and like people like him and what better way to do that than to like do all the shit to take the heat off of him which is just weird to think about if he is doing it for his own personal motivations 
he's playing with a lot of really dangerous shit all at once to do it. Like that's the part that's hard for me to wrap my head around. So I don't know if I entirely believe that theory, but like, I just can't think of another reason why he's doing it all now, like all at once like this. I mean, I mean, it's the shock and awe stuff. I really think it's the same with the Moab blast. It's like just hit him where it hurts and hit him so rapid fire shock doctrine style that you are struggling and scrambling to catch up and even like understand what's going on. And I truly think that that's the strategy. But it's that's I, I know it's hard to accept, but I mean, what else could it be? Well, if that's the case, then that it pokes holes in this idea that Bannon is being demoted and like back. You Absolutely. Know, like he's, He's I mean, still at the National Security Council meetings. This whole thing about like Bannon. No, well, like it's Kirshner on paper. And then, and then Ivanka Trump is taking over. And so it's like, and his kids are Zionists. Like I see the alt-right pushing that narrative. And it's like, what is it? Is his family being taken hostage or is his family trying to do a coup against him? Because you're pushing both narratives at the same time. <laughs> That's what they're saying. That the deep state and Jared Kushner is like trying to like launch a Zionist coup against Trump globalist coup or whatever it's like yeah that's the one thing that I, I liked on the solo podcast you did talking about how absurd it is to even entertain the notion that bannon is somehow an anti-interventionist and is being like his hands are tied it's like are you it's all look opportunistic at the key look at here, his words the key here is look at what pompeo was doing with wikileaks first he loved them when it was convenient and politically yep. useful for him and now he's gonna fucking arrest julian assange and possibly kidnap him out of the embassy worst case scenario or maybe even kill him Worst case scenario. But I mean, yeah. look at that. So Trump Bannon, already advocated executing him years ago. Yeah, so Bannon buddying up to Tulsi Gabbard's uh, anti-interventionist rhetoric in Syria doesn't mean that Bannon is anti-interventionist. Doesn't mean that Mike Cernovich is anti-neocon because he's writing about the neocon influence in Trump administration. I mean, it just... And, and and plus Cernovich promotes Flynn. All these people promoted Flynn and actually thought that he was like a hopeful chance to stop neocons in D.C. He co-wrote a book with Michael Ledeen. I don't understand how else I can put it to you. That is but a Robbie, complete fantasy. Robbie, Robbie, come on. He's he's one of the good guys. If, if Trump just, picked uh, him, then that means that he he's against the deep state. Yeah, so now the good guys are gone. Bannon and, and Flynn... That's the narrative. So now, now what's the deal? So now his kids are working against him, but then people say that the reason the deep state was able to get to him is because he's being taken hostage. His family's being taken hostage. That's just well, like who, what they said about Obama. Remember, they were like, what I, else could exactly it exactly what I said to someone today who was defending him with that. I was like, dude, you sound exactly like people who are like making excuse for Obama, who were like, well, they they must have his family like under threat or something. That's why he hasn't arrested <laughs> Bush. Because there were and still you know, lefties who believed he was going to arrest Bush. And then on the other side of the coin, you have all these liberals. Some guy today even brought me into the fold. And he was like, well, like when I posted the Assange, you know, the charges being filed against Assange or whatever. And the guy was like, well, too bad. Like he shouldn't have just been so pro-Trump. And, and he was like, just like you. And I oh was like, wait, wait, wait. Wow, so first really of all, you're, you are sad. literally advocating like no freedom of press. You're advocating to be to to have no freedom of press. Well, and he's just it's playing that really divisive, dangerous new McCarthyism game where somebody holds a view that's not in line with a certain paradigm yeah. and you're automatically become an alt-right pro-Putin, pro-Trump. And like, like a, even no, worse than that, a traitor. Even worse than that, you're a traitor who deserves to be shut down and arrested. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and just the fact that uh, Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, went on TV 
um, and was asked, I think it was on like ABC about this Assange charge. And he was like, yep, you know, Assange has to be shut down. WikiLeaks has to be shut down. We can't have, you know, people doing this kind of stuff. And then the question started to get a little bit more challenging where they're like, you know, it started to go like the intercept style on them where it's like, well, what about like other like companies that publish information, publish leaks? Like what if someone publishes a WikiLeak? And then Jeff Sessions kind of like, didn't know how to answer, but left it very open-ended, like acting like they could be prosecuted. So it's like, oh, fuck. Like if we're there, then that, I mean, yeah, it sucks that Julian Assange might have to go to jail for what he did. That's shitty. But he's just one guy. I mean, the whole idea of like being prosecuted for publishing leaks, like they come from WikiLeaks, like that's a whole other ball game. Like if you could be breaking the law by just spreading factual information or reporting on information right. you saw in a leak, like that's crazy. And I don't see Absolutely anyone from the all right talking about this. They all love Julian Assange. They all were saying WikiLeaks was the most trustworthy news organization. Are they speaking out against Trump? Are they pressuring him? Like, what is going on? Well, this is the I this is the most hilarious thing, Abby, is all these Pizzagate people twisted in, in their heads that Jeff Sessions was about to go on a Pizzagate like mass arrests oh, roundup. No. Oh, please, God, no. And so I was like, oh, okay. So like <sighs> I was like, Pizzagate, dudes, like, so what do you think about Jeff Sessions arresting the guy who released the Podesta emails? Is Jeff Sessions part of Pizzagate? And basically, people told me that he was now, like that Trump and Sessions are now part of Pizzagate, like, like, which is just like, oh, okay, so basically your attachment to Pizzagate even goes beyond your attachment to Trump. Like it's just the, just the goalposts just keep going to these insane weird runoffs. <laughs> oh my god! And I just found something else out really weird. I was paying money to Jared Futch, fucking Kushner's brother for the last two years on Oscar Health Insurance, this millennial geared, really hip, trendy health insurance company in New York. That's ads are everywhere, and I totally fell for it, not thinking that it was owned by the goddamn Kushner family. I was paying Jared Kushner's brother money. Jared Isn't Kushner's bros uh, got access to your medical records, yo. Dude, it's just cra- Yeah, well, the Patriot Act did that a long time ago. Remember that? Well, I know, but he can just grab them for no oh, yeah. reason. Like willy-nilly. So it's just yeah. nuts. Like, if anyone's on Oscar books, Health yo, Insurance, like, oh, I would look at that shit. definitely cancel. <laughs> you have to cancel. I mean, we're not only are we in a uh, corporatocracy and oligarchy, we're in a kleptocracy now where you have a corporation is in office and, and enriching his personal fortune alongside all of his family members to, to an extreme extent. Um, it's all, I mean, we might as well be living in like great Britain. You know, I was just, who was I just talking to? Oh yeah. Greg Palast. I, I did an interview with him and he was talking about how crazy it is. You know, not only do they still have a monarchy where the queen like can like basically is like a dictator at the end of the day, but really they like don't have a constitution. Like Brits, like don't really have that many freedoms, you know, it's like really different. You don't really think about how there really aren't constitutional protections for like press or journalism there. I didn't even think about that. It's really crazy. And yet, and yet Britain alongside us, you know, the empire, like (laughs) enlisting in all these crazy military interventions on behalf of like human rights and democracy. Don't even fuck. What kind of democracy do you have? Like, yeah, they have a parliamentary system, but Jesus, there's like no protections for their citizens. It's very interesting. I didn't really think about how, um, how that really works. So yeah, that's just a side note, but 
Man, man. Yeah. And speaking of sessions, I mean, here's another odd thing about sessions is not only is he horrible on so many issues, uh, you know, taking us back to reefer madness, but he also just said something else completely insane. Um, he said that Mexican Americans should pay for the wall, not just like Mexico, like Trump said, he said, Mexican Americans, we should tax them. He said, on ABC, Sessions weighed in on the fight over funding for the wall. He said, we're going to get it paid in one way or another, Sessions said. I know there's $4 billion a year in excess payments, blah, 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 blah. He's like, now these payments are going to people, tax credits that they shouldn't get. But, you know, don't, don't talk about the corporation's tax credits or, or tax cuts or all these safe havens around the world for all your billions and trillions of dollars. Don't worry about that. Instead, the tax credits... Um, are going to Mexicans, he said, in this country. And he said, and those kind of things add up, you know? He said $4 billion a year, $40 billion. He's like, they should be taxed to Mexican-Americans. I mean, I don't even, is this real? Like, are, is this real life? Every day I wake up wrapping my mind around, A, that Trump is president, and B, like, Al Jazeera has a good tracker of what Trump's doing every day, but it is very astounding how many things are happening and how much crazy shit's going on. Like, just the Sessions thing. It's like, who are these people? How are they in power? How did we get here? <laughs> like, it's just I know, nuts. and this this whole idea that it's like the the globalists and the deep state versus Trump and the alt right populists and all this stuff, like, it's so strange because like if the globalists, you know, like are able to like pull all these strings and do all these things that people claim they can do, then you would almost have to consider the obvious, like the Occam's razor lo- way to look at it, which would be. Well, then th- all this right wing populism stuff must be by design. Like it's like, and you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you're willing to get that conspiratorial about like, then why isn't this, why doesn't the deep state want this? Like, it seems like this whole system thrives on chaos in a way. Like the whole like notion of like, I don't know what the phrase is. It's like how like capitalism can feed off of like crisis do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, no, you're totally right. Look at now they're able to get capitalism. WikiLeaks, get all these things. This is stuff that Obama was salivating over, but never could have done. Are you kidding me? Within a hundred days, Trump's already done everything that the Bush administration couldn't even do. And now he might go to war with North Korea. It's like, whoa, that was quick. And you're telling me that this, some sort of populism is like anti deep state and anti empire. Wow, that makes sense. Because for some reason, it seems like this is like the wet dream of whatever the hell the empire could envision itself doing Well, that's under the name that's, of populism. Exactly. And that's why it's so weird to see people who I, some of them I respect, who are like, now they're falling into this trap somehow that Le Pen and, and France, France is actually like, like going to be like good because... She's saying she's going to take in Snowden and um, and Assange for in in uh, for asylum in France if she gets elected and all this shit. And it's like, dude, did you guys not live through the post nine eleven era <laughs> when George W. Bush and all the neocons were trying to make everybody terrified of Muslims? Like, because I mean, in a way, I mean, France didn't have something on the scale of nine eleven, but they've had all these little smaller, you know, terrorist attacks or whatever you want to call them um and they're falling into the same trap it's just like how could these people not see that and think that le pen is actually going to be like pro-civil libertarian after getting in office when she's already calling for banning not even just 
like face coverings, but actual like any Muslim clothing, like like hijabs, anything. Like it's just like in public. Like so, I mean, I I just don't understand how people keep going down this rabbit hole. It's very odd to me. Um, but at the same time, like it seems like an unstoppable force. Like there is sort of a worldwide right wing, you know, and and in some ways quasi fascist movement like anti-immigrant you know like very like racially you know nationalism driven movements happening all over the world absolutely and, i mean so this is why i think a lot of this like anti-russian propaganda can propel so well because it's like the world is getting more chaotic and fucked up and all these scary things are happening slowly and even sometimes very quickly and it seems like it's getting more intense by the day you know you know there's always been these times in history where it seems like we're on this like precipice of like things are just all of a sudden going to like get apocalyptic or whatever but it does, never felt like this before no things and, are just and, culminating i mean trump is fucking president trump <laughs> donald trump is president of the united states yeah we're in a bizarre like almost like sliders or something like we're in it seriously seems like we literally like went into an alternate earth and like it just keep keep getting into different alternate earths that are just worse and worse than the last one we came from yeah it's fucking absolutely. nutty absolutely and going back to the whole all the right-wing media loves um countering the propaganda from the mainstream media about russia and stuff because think about it russia is like a almost going on the way to the neo-fascist like press crackdowns really ultra like conservative orthodoxy so it's just like it, it makes sense when you see like the glomming on to like different state actors and yeah. governments in terms of like, but this Venezuela stuff is really scares me. And so does the North Korea stuff, because we know we're going to be all alone on this and this is going to be a real tough road. And oh, people yeah. have a lot of amnesia in this country where they only remember things. If we start bombing them, they that's how we know geography. So I, I hope to God Oh my God, that's so awful what you just said. It's true. I can't believe it. Re- like, that hit me because it's like all the shit we know about Syria now. Yeah. I didn't know any of it before we started bombing them. And that's really sad. That makes like my heart I hurt. I know. That's so fucked up. I think that we should wrap it up because I, I wanted to wrap it up with a thought experiment um, about imagine. And not Hillary Clinton. I know that she's a horrible human being. Just imagine (laughs) if like I were president, you know, Um, and imagine if a tape came out of me saying that I grab men by the dick, (laughs) that I grab men by the dick that don't want to fuck me and, um, and that I try to make out with them and said a bunch of rapey, crazy stuff and said, I grab men by the dick, even if they're married Etc. Just imagine. Imagine that. I was just thinking about that the other day. It almost seems like a Veep episode. Yeah. It's nuts. It's such an insane thought (laughs) experiment to actually think about what if a woman said that? Like, think about what Gavin McGinnis reacted when I simply called him pussy boy. He like flipped his shit and all his followers were like, oh my God, I can't believe like a woman swears. Like, this is so horrible. Like, you shouldn't swear. Like, you're a man now, you tranny. It's like they just can't handle like a woman saying a swear word or whatever. So I just can't imagine what it would do to emasculate billions of people around the world. If like, it's well, just a very bizarre. 
it's just this is what this game these people like Gavin McGinnis play. I'm sorry to like play your big brother like trying to defend your <laughs> internet trolling, but like let me step in here for a second. Like the Gavin McGinnis thing where it's like he's being like misogynist and condescending to you. It's like these red pill like alt right guys. They act misogynist to like the women that they whose politics they don't like or who like rub mm-hmm. them the wrong way but they like treat with respect the women's who they like do have their politics are in line with mm-hmm. which is just like they treat them as like more equal i mean it's just like typical i mean it's just typical asshole behavior you know he's got he has yeah. like a porn star that comes on his show and like spreads her pussy open who's like an alt-right like porn star i don't even remember nice. her name um Jen- jenna jameson she's no like she's no no it's not right jenna jameson she's like a younger like <laughs> Weird. She almost kind of looks like, um, oh God, what's her? Oh, she looks kind of like Rosaria Dawson a little bit, mm. actually, but like more like Latino, Latina. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, I was just thinking about how crazy that is, like how that would just never happen. Yet these people want to yeah, yeah, claim that so we're, we're not only not living in a patriarchy, but we're like living like a reverse, like a matriarchy where women are now have way more rights than men and they're like demanding like extra rights it's like no dude just think about who our president is and what he said well it is funny how like social justice warriors are so like crucified for coming up with terms like slut shaming and and fat shaming you know like like perhaps maybe they're overused terms maybe or they're wrongly used but sometimes by people who don't are like deploying them like that's that, i'm sure that happens yeah like i've had people i've heard people say it in in a context where i'm like oh i think you might be using that the wrong way but it's a real i mean it's a real thing like why isn't it okay i mean why is it okay for a guy to act so like horny and like i'm just gonna like grab this woman by the pussy and just start kissing her and just like if she you know you know just see, keep kissing her and see what happens like without even asking her, like, I just start kissing people. Like, why is it considered like cool and impressive for a man to do that? But it's like immediately like disgusting and like unacceptable for like a woman to do that. She'd be like, oh, that's so like slutty. She's like a whore. What a whore. What a disgusting whore. I mean, I just don't under, that's because it's like, that is actually a, a, on a, like a wider, more general sense. Like that is what slut shaming means. Cause it's like, you are some for some reason putting men and women in a completely different set of standards when it comes to like their level of like sexual expression exactly but in this case this is like being rapey actually which is kind of weird women only get a pass in the sense that they're like alt-right misogynists who'll be like oh a woman can't rape a man like you can't a woman can't like sexually assault a man like there'll be people who will argue that you know like yeah i'm sure you've heard that before so it's funny that like if a woman like said that it would probably like impress some of those people to be like, Oh, that's cool. Like, Oh, that's awesome. Or something like, I don't mean, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I actually don't think that I feel like, they would, so? I feel like they would be the people who'd be like, what about men getting raped? Oh yeah. They, like, then they would just like, concern troll. They would concern troll. Yeah, totally. No, that you can't win with these people. <laughs> But um, let, let's wrap it up because my, my M track is like on its last leg and I don't want it to die in okay. the middle of this because I don't have any more batteries. But I wanted to just give a shout out um, to our Palestinian prisoner episode. It was just Palestinian prisoner week and there's 1500 Palestinian prisoners on hunger strike right now in Israeli jails who are protesting the insane 
conditions. I won't even get into it because you can watch it all in the Empire Files um, on our YouTube channel, on Telesaur's YouTube channel. Really just shocking. More coverage from on the ground there um, of, of how insane Israeli jails are. You can't protest. You can't raise a flag. You can't belong to a political party. It's not just having guns and stuff like you actually can't do anything. And if you um, even if you post like a photo of someone who died, you can go to jail for like the amount of likes, like the months equal the likes on the Facebook photo or whatever. Like that's how crazy the system is. So I implore everyone to check it out, give you a little bit more insight on, you know, why 40 percent of the entire population has gone to jail and sometimes for decades and really what it does uh, to the soul of a country who's being occupied brutally. So I don't know if there's anything that you wanted to give a shout out. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, I'm playing a show on May 4th at, uh, 10, 15 Folsom. So cool. I want to come check out my music. Um, I'm going to probably be playing like around midnight or so And the, there's like two rooms. Um, so I'll be playing in one of the rooms under fluorescent gray. And then, uh, I just went on, um, the Mikeadelic podcast. Um, so if you, if you type Mike Adelic in iTunes, you can find uh, the newest episode. I'm the, I'm the guest on it, and uh, I think I think that's pretty much it. Um, cool. Just check out a very heavy agenda. It's still uh, still have plenty of DVDs available and um, streaming, obviously. And there's going to be an episode four of very heavy agenda. It's going to come out in late summer, probably at the end of August. Cool. Awesome. And thanks yeah. so much, of course, everyone, for donating to our Patreon. We are really invigorated and, and, and you know, pressured, which is really great to get these podcasts out, whereas before we probably would have waited more. And it's really great to know that there's so many people who want the commentary, who are supporting, who are offering their, I know it's a really tough time economically, and to put forward even $5 a month is, you know, not only really helps us, but it, it just gives us the inspiration to keep going and to know that, you know, we really need to keep putting these out there and countering these really destructive war narratives. So thank you so much for all of your support. It really means the world to us. Yes. And, and the Patreon has been a really big encouragement for us um, to know how many of you care um, and are interested in, in helping us out monetarily because it really does help. It's a, I mean, helps us, you know, live and, uh, um, and if you need some more encouragement to donate, um, I will let you know that the Chapo Trap House crew was the fourth top listener of the Media Roots Radio podcast last week. So, um, so we're you know I don't know uh, you know how big of fans they are, but they're listening to our podcast and um, and they're the number like, one funded podcast on the entire. Oh Patreon, yeah, they have correct? a very 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 successful Patreon uh, page and. Um, and yeah, they put out podcasts more often than we do. So, so the, I mean, yeah, if I, if we were making if we were making even more, we you know we might make even more. And I'll and I you know there'll be some solo episodes peppered in there with the ones with me and Abby because Abby's also working on the Empire Files at the same time. Um, and yeah, I think that's that's about it. And I'm also going to Venezuela. Um, should be real nuts, and I'm going to report. Um, exactly what I see happening. So I know it's really confusing and a lot of crazy stuff's going on. I would just advise everyone to kind of tune out the corporate media coverage and wait for a week or two until I'm on the ground um, and giving some insight about what's going on there. So we know that Rex Tillerson has already greenlighted, you know, regime change. This has been going on for a long, long time. So, you know, 
the 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 regime change is out there um and we need to counter that in every way possible it doesn't matter what these countries are doing we cannot have the us um usurping any more governments and putting in puppets it's it's gotten to the point where we really need fucking- to stop yeah, especially when the fucking Secretary of State is the CEO of Exxon Mobil. I, <laughs> I mean, love how people on. even like take him seriously. It's like, yeah, oh, like, Rex dude. Tillerson like said this. It's like he's the CEO of an oil corporation. Venezuela, <laughs> CEO of Exxon. I mean, come on, nuts. can't get more obvious. This is like beyond Cheney, like Halliburton shit right here. This is come nuts. On. Come on, guys. <laughs> Critical thinking. Let's let's do it. We can do yeah. it. Okay, well, let us know what you think, everyone, on um, on our social medias, and thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening, everybody. Peace. <laughs>